This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. You're listening to the Knowledge at Wharton podcast. I'm Rachel Kipp, Associate Editorial Director of the Knowledge at Wharton website. We're here today with Wharton Management Professor Valentina Asenova. She's here to talk to us about her latest research, which looks at the role of social networks in the spread of complex innovations. Valentina, thanks for being with us. Thanks, Rachel. It's a pleasure. Now, first of all, could you talk to us a little bit about what was the inspiration for this research? The inspiration for this research was really looking at uh, the spread of microfinance. This was um, microfinance, as, as many people know, is one of those innovations that's not unambiguously good or bad. Um, and there's a lot of mixed evidence around whether or not it's actually beneficial for women, whether it improves welfare and so forth. Um, but it was something that really got me intrigued about what's the role of public opinions and of social networks Um networks in the sense of people that you talk to for advice, for help uh, in making a decision in how some of these complex innovations spread. Now, tell us a little more about what you mean when you say complex innovation. Yeah, a complex innovation is essentially an innovation that is um, has a lot of uncertainty around its value for a potential adopter. So when we think about a complex innovation, we might think about an unproven technology, right? This is a technology where nobody yet knows whether it will actually be more beneficial or less beneficial in relation to existing solutions. And given the uncertainty around this technology, typically uh, there's a need for some kind of social validation for other people to adopt it. Um, And this is contrasted to something like a simple innovation, um, like a a penicillin or a medical innovation that's very obviously good. And uh, with just a few adopters, um, there's really not as much of a need for social validation uh, for, for something like that to spread in a population. And to be clear, when you say social validation and social network, we're not just talking about your Twitter feed or your Facebook friends, although that could be part of it. Uh, That's right. So when we think about social networks in uh, social science and in management, we tend to think of patterns of interaction among people. So a social network could be people in the office that you interact with on a daily basis. Um, And those interactions can be represented as a graph, as a network. Um, Or it could be a network of people that you talk to on Twitter and that you follow. It's essentially who is influencing you in your opinions and in your beliefs about uh, the value of certain ideas or certain technologies. Now, how did you test this? So the paper is much more of a, it's it's a theoretical model, uh, and it's looking at essentially learning on these networks uh, using a DeGroote naive learning model. Um, and I begin by, by, by basically looking at random networks, and then I move on to testing it in the case of the spread of microfinance in India. Uh, so for these, the beauty of using these Uh, very simplified random graphs, Bernoulli random graphs, is that we know exactly what's happening on the network. And so it's very mechanical. We can really test very cleanly what the mechanisms are. Uh, And in this case, the the key mechanism being uh, influence from the opinions of other people. What did you find when you you looked at these models? Well, I found a a couple of interesting things. The first is that 
there are certain features of network structure that are more conducive to the diffusion of a complex innovation than others. Um, remember, again, that we don't know what the value of these innovations are. And in theory, what we might never know. Uh, and so what people are going off of is the opinions of other people about the value of these innovations. Um, there are a couple of different features of this model. One of them is that we can manipulate the structure of the network itself in terms of the density, so how connected people are to other people. And in terms of the asymmetry, whether I am more likely to influence you than you influencing me. So how asymmetric our relationship is in that sense. Um, so what, what, what I found in these using these models is that actually networks with both high density and high asymmetry are optimal for diffusing complex innovations when the barriers to adoption are low. Uh, that basically means we have a case of a fairly easy to adopt innovation. Um, it's very simple. It doesn't have a lot of uh, added steps to what it takes to adopt it and so forth. Um, conversely, when we have a, an innovation that is very complex, and here we might think of a technology that not only uh, is a pretty complex technology, but requires a lot of additional input and knowledge about how to use it and, and sort of information from other people. So when we're dealing with these more complex innovations and where barriers to adoption are very high, it's actually the opposite. So low density and low asymmetry networks are the ones that are the most likely to diffuse those innovations. So what does a high density, high asymmetry group versus a low density, low asymmetry group look like in the real world? Well, we can take uh, an office as an example. So if we look at an office where people are sitting with each other, they're talking to each other, and we were to map out the network of their communications, a very high density and a very high asymmetry network would look like one where everybody in that office is talking to everybody else. So they're interconnected. And moreover, there is one person or two people in that in that office who are dominating that conversation. So their opinions are far more influential to what everybody else thinks than, uh, than anyone else in that group. By contrast, a low density and a low asymmetry group would look like one where very few people in the office are talking to few others. So communications are much more selective and moreover, where some of these differences in whose opinion matters are less pronounced. So I'm just as likely to listen to your opinion as I am to one of my other colleagues in the office. And there isn't a single person who's dominating the conversation. Now, in my, in my life, I'm likely to be part of both kinds of groups. So how does that come into play when we're looking at the spread of an innovation, especially one that may apply across several different parts of my life? I mean, if it was just for work, then just the work network matters. But what if it's something that could matter with both? That's actually a fantastic question. And it's a topic of uh, a recent a stream of research that I've been looking at, which is looking at multiplex networks. So in reality, people are embedded in more than one kinds of networks, right? You have your friends, you have your coworkers, you have your family, and those networks could look very different. Um, and we're just beginning to explore how diffusion dynamics might matter in those types of networks. Um, the preliminary findings show that there are different types of multiplexity that are that are more or less conducive to um, to diffusion. And one key factor that matters is how broadly you're spanning these different networks and how unconnected they are. Um, so that would be a pretty big predictor of 
whether you, as a key person who's a spanner across these networks, is able to influence other people within them. Now, how does it help somebody who's trying to spread an innovation, because maybe it's their innovation, to understand networks and the networks that people are part of and how those network networks are influencing them? That's a great question. So when it comes to uh, innovations with unknown value, like new technologies or sometimes complex ideas, one might think about what are the best communities to target and who are the best people to target for getting the word out and for really promoting adoption. Um, and so I think this research has a couple of key implications for uh, for an entrepreneur or for a practitioner. Uh, one of them is to really think about what what might be the barriers to adoption in for this technology. So are those barriers relatively high or are, or are they fairly low? So if somebody is developing an app and it's a fairly simple app, uh, that they believe would be widely valuable and applicable, then targeting a high density and a high asymmetry network where they're really identifying the key influencer would be the way to spread it. And that would be the way to promote its very rapid diffusion. Conversely, if somebody is developing a biomedical innovation and it's the kind of innovation that's First of all, difficult to understand. Second of all, difficult to really form an opinion about. Um, and it's really within a network of possibly experts. Then one might want to target a network that has lower density and lower asymmetry, uh, such as uh, perhaps a network among expert physicians who might be trained to use this technology and then um, talk to each other and kind of really rationally evaluate what the costs and the benefits of this technology are. Um, so in, in very practical terms, it just means it, it provides entrepreneurs a way of selecting the right audience and selecting the right communities for diffusing their technologies. And I would imagine a big part of that is also you have to really understand who your customers are or who they could be. Exactly, right? And who are the people who will be the, the key people forming an opinion about the value of what you're proposing and what is the best way of creating social contagion within the, the networks of people that they that they touch and that they communicate with. Um, I think that's a really key takeaway and kind of understanding what that means uh, for a specific technology uh, in, in the specific community that somebody is trying to target. And even I would think understanding how they're going to communicate about the innovation, are they going to do it via social, like online social networks? Is it going to be word of mouth? Is it going to be something else? Right. So this model is is agnostic as to the mode of implementation. So it could be certainly in, in these types of networks, uh, the assumption is that the influence that people are getting is primarily through the evaluations of other people, um, that, that that matters. It's not the kind of technology where it's easy to just go on a website, read about it and kind of make sense of it. Um, this is really where the, the complexity comes from. It's uh, this need for for social validation through other people in a network uh, to understand that technology. But, but certainly when it comes to these evaluations, uh, trying to understand how uh, the structure of the networks shapes the, the formation of these opinions that people have around and, and whether they're forming a consensus that something is really valuable or not very valuable is an important element of making it successful. Now, is there part of this in terms of your results that surprised you? Well, I would say I was, uh, I was a bit surprised by the second finding of really looking at how the thresholds to adoption moderate the benefits of 
of density and asymmetry because I think the popular conception in the literature and um, you know when we think about networks is that density is always or relatively good density and asymmetry would be conducive to diffusion right when when we talk about key influencers that's exactly what uh, what this literature is referring to. These are the people who are very, very connected in a network and uh, can immediately, by by posting something on Twitter or by, by voicing an opinion, can immediately influence lots of other people. Um, what's surprising is that these kinds of networks and those types of people are not universally beneficial for diffusion. And it really depends on the barriers um, to adoption and uh, related to a specific technology. So the fact that you can actually diffuse an innovation more quickly and more broadly in a sparser network, um, I think is surprising and interesting. And it kind of calls into question uh, the conventional wisdom around uh, choosing key influencers and choosing high density networks. Like, what do you think it is about that higher barrier to entry that kind of created that result where it they did better in networks that were not, that did not have a lot of asymmetry and that were not very dense? So I think that there are two elements to it. And in the model, there, there are two elements that I test. One of them is the fact that people have a particular threshold for adopt, adoption. For example, I'm willing to switch to the new iPhone if it's X percent better or X many times better along the dimensions that I value in relation to the existing technology, right? So so people have this um, kind of threshold about what's the value that, that I would need to be able to get out of this for it to be worthwhile switching from the existing solution. And then the second element of that is that uh, there's obviously a so, so that's related to a threshold to adoption. Um, then there's obviously a consensus value that's forming within a group of people that I know. So if um, if I value your opinion quite a bit and you've switched to the new technology and now you're you're using that and you're you're changing my opinion about it, I'm I, more likely to to switch over. Um, so I think the fact that there's this interplay between my own my own values and my own thresholds and the opinions of other people that I'm influenced by. Uh, and it's that interplay that that really does affect what people end up doing and um, how broadly an innovation uh, spreads within a population. So what's next for this research? There are a couple of different projects that I've been working on. One of them is really looking at the role of multiplexity in networks and the role of community leaders or opinion leaders in these networks um, and how they span the, these networks over time. So I have a second paper that's a follow-up to the study, really parsing how multiplexity, this overlap in different networks that people have, affects the diffusion of these innovations. Um, and I have another paper really looking at um, how playing multiple roles within uh, these communities, uh, in other words, being, let's say, both uh, both a developer and a user, such as on a, on a platform, uh, might affect uh, the diffusion of some of these innovations. Valentina, thanks so much for being with us today. Thank you, Rachel. It was a pleasure. You can find all of Knowledge at Wharton's podcasts, articles, and more on our website, which is knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. You can also find all of our podcasts on Apple's podcast app or your favorite podcasting app. And if you like what you hear, please leave us a review. It really does help like-minded folks find the podcast. Thanks for listening. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Thank you.